And safety is a part of everyone's job too, right? So is is this built into everyone's job? Is that communicated to all? Um, so I, I think sometimes it's it's really a matter of resources. That's I guess that's what I've seen in my my history. Where do evidence-based practice and fostering a culture of safety intersect, especially in specialties like perinatal nursing and labor and delivery? Let's talk all about it with author and perinatal quality and safety specialist, Jeanette Zoko, right here in episode 452 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, I always ask the same thing and will continue to ask because it's so helpful. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Super, super helpful. And just share the show with anyone you think would enjoy it. You can share it from any app where you happen to be listening or from my website or the podcast feed. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. You can pledge as little as $2 a month to help support the show and keep the lights on or more. And I will send you a couple of my books and a postcard from Santa Fe in the U.S. mail, which is a rare thing these days to get a gift in the mail. Anyway, The show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu labeled podcasts. And they're also in any app where you're listening, whether that's Overcast, Castro, et cetera. You will find the show notes and links to find the guest and all the other stuff I mentioned here. As I mentioned, we're here with Jeanette Zoko. She's a perinatal quality and safety specialist. And Jeanette, it's really great to have you here. And the first question I want to ask you is... What is the state of the notion of a culture of safety in nursing right now? Is there, is there a kind of, are there theories or concepts that are central to fostering a culture of safety? I think the, that's a great question, Keith. And actually, before we get going, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, so what's the state of the culture of safety in nursing? I think it's evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And I think it's highly dependent on the work that's being done to foster a culture of safety, to foster psychological safety in the workplace. So it's really important that there are concerted efforts to build in these things into the day-to-day environment. And just to give you an example, team steps or team training, crew resource management, these are all things that can be implemented into the or training programs that can be implemented into the unit to help foster and develop a culture of safety. But beyond that, you can't just have a program that's sort of a one and done. You have to build in sustainability and it has to be built into um, the leadership roles and different roles of um, of even frontline staff um, into the day to day. Okay. And what are some of the obstacles that as a safety specialist and quality specialist that you feel like are the most common obstacles to having a culture of safety? What's standing in our way kind of in general? And then we might get more specific with some examples. I think that um, number one, there's often competing priorities. So, so for instance, 
if one wanted to implement a team steps type program, you have to kind of consider what's coming down the pike and what's being asked within the organization in terms of other initiatives. So you have to, as you're implementing different initiatives that help to develop a culture of safety, you have to balance all the other programs that are also and all the other work that's being implemented. Because if you try to do too much at once, what happens? Mm -hmm. People get overwhelmed. Yeah. And something gets, something gets lost. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. People get overwhelmed. Um, they really don't take away the key facets of the program that you want to take away. Leadership also doesn't have time to really focus in and do a quality effort and then consider plans for sustainability. So um, competing priorities are, are definitely um, an obstacle. And I think that's why it takes, if you're, if you're developing and designing a program, you really have to think about what is feasible to ask folks to do right now and what else is going on that might get in the way and how can we build this in, in a way that works best with, mm. you know, like I said, the other things that are kind of coming down the pike. Yeah. And in your work, do you, do you work with, multiple organizations do you do you consult like where where do you do your work and who are you actually talking to when you're out there you know trying to convince people to to look at safety and quality more closely so so i'll i'll answer that in in sort of with two answers okay so my former work was as a perinatal safety nurse um, for a division, for a women and infants division at one hospital that was a, a mid-sized teaching hospital in the state of Connecticut. It was a busy place with a lot of high-risk patients. Um, and my current role is I'm working as a perinatal patient safety program manager. I'm one of two program managers for a healthcare system within the state of Connecticut. And there are six birthing hospitals that we oversee and, and do strategic planning and site work for. So, you know, and, and honestly, in both of these roles, you you do have a lot of, of weigh-in in terms of strategic planning um, and implementation of different programs that are that are put in place. Right. Have so you have a, a full-time job with this health system. Correct. Do you ever get um requests to consult with other systems? Do people ask you to say, hey, can you come and kind of talk to us about our hospital outside of the system within which you work? Not not at this point, no. Okay, right. But you just published a book, right? It's called Obstetric and Neonatal Quality and Safety Study Guide, a Practical Resource for Perinatal Nurses. And when did that book come out? So that was self-published on Amazon April 1st of this April year. April 1st, 2023. Yes. So I would assume possibly that as that book gets more disseminated, that maybe you will get some calls because people will see that you have some expertise to share. So I'm I'm planning your your future entrepreneurial endeavor, you know, <laughs> when you're ready to be a consultant. Um so we'll talk. <laughs> um so how how did you get to where you are because you know we all have a journey and how did you start out and why did quality and safety kind of come to the fore for you was there a crystallizing moment or experience or was it something you fell into how did it all kind of come together to the point where you are now yeah, that's a great question. So my journey start really started with um, working in obstetrics. I worked in antepartum, postpartum, and newborn nursery as a staff nurse, and then spent about 10 years working as a labor and delivery nurse. Um, and during that time, I actually went back to school and I got my master's in nursing education. 
and then had an opportunity to start working in simulation. So, and this is kind of an interesting story, had an opportunity to work with a mannequin that no one at the time was working with. So I had to learn all about how to take it apart, put it back together, learn the software, learn the pieces of um, curriculum development and designing simulations, and then also learning how to introduce it to a staff that didn't know anything or any experience with simulation in a manner that was non-punitive and comfortable and just conducive to learning. Mm -hmm. So, I was fortunately able to successfully do that. And I had an amazing team of people that I worked with and actually brought in frontline staff to design the simulations and um, enlisted champions that then became experts in the simulation content out on the unit. And naturally, as I was learning about simulation, it lent itself to also learning about patient safety and quality because they're so closely tied together and building a perinatal patient safety program. So that is what led to learning more about quality and safety and then really delving in and getting into the work and continuing to thread in simulation into everything that I did. So As I started doing the simulation work, what started off honestly, really unofficially, Mm -hmm. officially, I then after a couple of years took on a a role as a clinical nurse leader and then perinatal safety nurse for a women and infants division. And in that perinatal safety nurse role, I was doing a lot of work around data analysis, strategic planning, mitigation plans um, as a result of of different safety events that had occurred, did a lot of work in culture, as we discussed, building a culture of safety and helping to um, build psychological safety on the unit. Um, This led to also learning about quality improvement work and the different types of methodologies out there like Lean, Six Sigma, the IHI model for improvement. And then that sort of got blended into the work as well. And I did this for, if you combine the clinical nurse leader and PSN role, about 10 years. And after that point in time, it was really important to me before I moved on to a role to have seen some solid markers of success. And fortunately, again, I was working with a fantastic team and we were able to see the fruits of our efforts over the years. We had um, seen uh, an improvement in our metrics, things like reduction in hemorrhage, reduction in preventable birth injury, reduction in our C-section rate, just to name a few. And kind of a lot of the the big evidence-based bundles that you see out there implemented. And I felt like we had, you know, that I'd done some good work and was ready to move on. Um, So unfortunately, there really weren't a lot of opportunities at my former organization. So I had to make the decision to leave and moved on to a quality and safety nurse role at another organization, which was great because then I I actually was working still a little bit within OB, but also got exposure to other departments outside of obstetrics, which was helpful to me. It was very educational and added to my skill set. And during that time, I actually had a, a more regular schedule. I was really just working 40 hours a week. So Good I had, the, <laughs> I know. So it gave me the bandwidth to work on the book. And I had got, I was really kind of thinking about what, what do I want to do? And the, the PSN role is pretty non-conventional. So I was also looking to do something that was equally non-conventional mm-hmm. and just kind of started listening to podcasts and doing my own research, came across Janine Kelbach, mm-hmm. who yep. is a nurse, entrepreneur, and writer. She's been on this show. Has she? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. And 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 by the way, is a wonderful person she as is. well. She is. 
Um, and I bought her course and, you know, started listening to it. I also started listening to podcasts by Deanna Gillingham. She's been on this show as well a couple times. She's my friend. I've visited her in Mexico. She's a wonderful person too. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. just about to say she's equally as wonderful. Yeah. And what was interesting is that one day I was in the car trying to think about, well, do I want to do freelance writing? What might I want to do? And I was listening to a podcast and it rolled over into a podcast that I'd previously skipped over because I was like, oh, this doesn't apply to me at all. And but I was in the car and I couldn't futz around with the uh, with my phone. So I, I had to listen to it. And it was Deanna. She was describing her journey and creating a study guide for case management. At the time, the National Certification Corporation had come out with a new exam in obstetric and neonatal quality and safety. And I thought, wow, well, I, I know this pretty well. I could probably do something like this. And the idea was born. I actually reached out to Deanna because I wanted to get an idea of what her journey was like. She was lovely. Mm -hmm. She actually offered to um, connect every, we ended up connecting every six weeks on a Zoom and she was giving me advice. And then eventually we went into a formal coaching arrangement with her, Janine, and her um, husband and colleague, Avi. Avi, yeah. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and kind of the rest is history. They helped me through the book writing process and establishing a website and building a social media presence and all that good stuff. That's amazing. So I want to unpack the story a little bit. So here you were working with, it sounds like a very high fidelity mannequin, right? Mm -hmm. And creating trainings. And one thing I liked that you said was um, you fostered champions who, as they learned the process and the, the um, practice and the information, they then became sort of um, ambassadors of what you were teaching in the simulation out on the units, right? Am I getting that right? Yes. So this notion of champions. And for me, that's sort of like it's sort of like an informal leadership funnel because you're empowering uh, nurses on the unit to take ownership of something. And it's sort of like intrapreneurship, like you're, they're really like digging deeper into their role and taking ownership of, you know, making sure that this, that, or the other thing gets communicated to others. And that gets, you know, um, brought into folded into the way things are done on the unit. So I think fostering champions and fostering leaders even informally is really important. And what I perceive in your journey as well is that it was a very stepwise journey. Like you um you got your master's degree because it seemed like the right thing to do, right? And because you like teaching and imparting information. And then from the simulation process, you moved, you kept moving further and further, more deeply into this world of safety and quality, evidence-based practice, et cetera. And I feel like you were, it, it just sounds like you were eyes wide open looking for, okay, what's the next opportunity? And the next opportunity was, well, I'm not really growing at this particular facility. So I think I need to abandon ship and find, find my next landing place. So is that, is this correct that it just was a step-by-step -step process and were you aware of where you were going or was it more like each piece sort of just kept falling into place as you continued to grow? So I would say uh, a little bit of both, mm -hmm. probably. So I think in terms of the program growing, if I, I really looked at the literature to help guide me in terms of next steps. So as I mentioned in doing the simul, well, it was a combination of a couple of things, looking at the literature and then evaluating what was working with our own staff and really working closely with the frontline staff. Like they are key to 
implementing things effectively because they're going to let you know what's working and what's not working. So it was that along with reading the literature in terms of, well, what is really being shown to demonstrate improved outcomes? What do we need to focus in on? Well, at the time, you know, one of those components was fetal monitoring and getting everyone up to par with the NICHD, which is up-to-date terminology. So that was a piece of it. And then bringing in, as I mentioned, team, a team training type of program. So I used the literature to guide the program development, but then also looked at um, what were our own opportunities and in our own data. So that grew organically. And then in terms of my own professional next steps, um, I mean, it definitely took a lot of soul work because in making a decision to leave somewhere that's home to you, I mean, you know what it's like when you're working Mm -hmm. somewhere for a long time, your, your people become your family. So that probably took me a year of of thinking about what am I going to do for next steps. And fortunately, I picked an organization that's fantastic to move on to and very supportive and very quality and safety focused. So I feel fortunate in that respect. And then at the same time, I'm also able to use my experience and help others, which is and, and really reach a broader audience through the book work. So that, you know, coming up with a decision to write the book evolved I, as I got in touch with Janine, as I got in touch with Deanna, as I learned about the podcasts. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And what it shows me, and I hope you know, there are some listeners out there who are hearing the message. You're not saying it directly, but it's implicit in your in your story that, like I was saying earlier, your eyes are wide open. You were watching for opportunity. You were kind of casting around, like checking out podcasts and listening. And then you're like, oh, Janine Kobeck, huh? And then Deanna came along. It's like, huh, Deanna Gilliam. Yeah. And you had conversations with them. So you were open to possibilities. You were open to evolving. You were open to leaving your workplace and your work family for another place because you knew that that institution was, I guess, holding you back because you weren't you couldn't grow anymore there and that's hard for many of us you're right to kind of to leave the people we've been with for a while and it can feel like you're really abandoning them when you leave but sometimes you know there's this there's this old Michelle Shocked song I often go back to and quote and the quote from the song is the secret to a long life is knowing when it's time to go and it's like to me that says you know when the signs are pointing to the fact that change has to happen, that sometimes there's some courage and insight that have to be operationalized in order to make, take the leap. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about leadership and I want to talk about quality and safety and how you know that really contributes to improving outcomes. And a few other things that are on my mind and maybe on your mind too. So hang in there with us. We'll be right back with the second half of episode 452 of the Nurse Keith Show with perinatal quality and safety specialist and author, Jeanette Zoko. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Jeanette Zoko. And Jeanette, prior to the break, we were talking about your journey and how you got to where you were and how I was saying how your eyes were wide open and you were just listening and watching and and being receptive to like, here's Janine, here's Deanna, here's this opportunity. And like, oh, you know, so you were, you were, you were watching and waiting and listening and feeling out what was going on. But how did that fit with 
the notion of like having a having a plan, a career plan. Did you feel like you had one or did it happen? Was it just more of an organic process? It was actually great question. It was actually more of an organic process, mm-hmm. which is highly unlike me because I typically have a plan and a direction that I want to go in. And I felt like for many years when I was working in the PSN role, I was like, this is exactly where I want to be. It's so rewarding. I love what I'm doing. Um, And just right on track. And then when I changed that, I had to get okay with being uncomfortable and not knowing and sort of waiting to see what would unfold and trusting in colleagues that have had gone through the process and been successful. So that that was that was a little tough, but I just went with it. Again, very unlike the type A personality here, but I did it and it's worked out so far. And the other piece that I wanted to point out is I feel very fortunate to be in a, in a full-time role where I'm t- taking my prior experience as a perinatal safety nurse and really applying it to multiple hospitals. So I'm being challenged in that way, which is really what I had. It's next level. It's what I had wanted previously. So um, definitely feel fortunate and and I'm surrounded by really good people, good colleagues. That's so nice to hear. We don't hear that that often. (laughs) So it is nice to hear when someone's at a place where they feel like they have the support. And you were saying about uncertainty, like you just, you know, you had to sort of just sit with the discomfort. That's the word you used, said it was uncomfortable. And um, this makes me think of um, Pema Chodron. She's a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. And um, there's a book of hers that I should probably reread. It's called Comfortable with Uncertainty. And it's it's a really good one. And um, just maybe think of her in the moment. And so we can have all sorts of plans. And, you know, there are there are sayings like we make plans and God laughs. You know, there's all sorts of things people say about making plans. But when you have a career, you know, you want to foster it, you want to grow. And um, sometimes you feel the tug in a new direction or you have to leave where you were and go elsewhere, which you did, or you you throw caution to the wind and open a start a business. You know, there's all sorts of things you can do. And I'm curious, a lot of doors seem to have opened as you kept digging more and more deeply. Like you went from the high fidelity mannequin, and then things kept things just kept evolving, and you kind of rolled with it, right? And you watched for opportunity. And you said you got your master's and I'm really curious from your perspective, because this is a career podcast too. Do you feel like having the master's was essential to getting to where you are or could you have gotten there or gotten close to where you are with a bachelor's degree? What do you think about that? I think a master's was essential to moving yeah. on. To, and, you really do need that advanced degree. Um, typically in nurse leader roles, that's that's a requirement. I also think, I mean, it taught me all the foundational elements of being an educator. So I, I wouldn't have been able to really work with simulation without those foundational elements. Mm-hmm. So... You know, some of us can accomplish a lot with an associates or bachelors. You know, I've known people, I mean, I, I have a bachelor's degree. I don't have a master's. I've known people who've done pretty remarkable things with one of those two-year or four-year degrees. But I think there is a ceiling you generally hit unless you're super lucky and just something comes together. Because I've seen people in leadership who don't have master's degrees and it's, it's surprising, but it does happen. Um, I mean, I've been a chief nursing officer once upon a time of a very small home health agency, but that would never have happened in another setting. It was only because it was a little mom and pop, you know, so I can say I was a CNO once. <laughs> uh, so your master's was important and 
I'm just curious, like, do you think about a doctorate? Do you feel like a doctorate would bring you to a level that you're desirous of? Or does that not feel like it's something that you want to think about right now? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't think I have it in me for a doctorate. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, so if you think about all the work that was required to write a book, it was was like a part-time job. And, and right now I'm still promoting the work and I would like to continue to promote quality and safety, really an understanding of and the quality and safety work at the bedside for both nurse leaders and frontline staff. So that takes up a lot of time. And I, you have to have a balance in life, right? So you've got your personal life, you've got your work. And then I have this book stuff that I'm promoting and, and the work. There's not any room for a PhD in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear you. So. I mean, I've talked to I'm many people. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I've talked to many people who've gotten doctorates and several have told me it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like they're like birthing a baby, et cetera, et cetera. It's like no comparison. And, you know, there's also people who, what is that term? It's called um, everything but the dissertation you know, where they get to everything, but the dissertation just never comes together. And um, I'm always gunning for like an honorary master's or honorary doctorate. Like if anyone's listening, you know, I'm totally open. So um, <laughs> I might yeah. consider a postmaster's certificate. Oh, if yeah. I did anything, that might be like a good compromise. But PhD is a huge commitment. I actually considered going back for my nurse practitioners and it looked into many programs and it was mm-hmm. either NP or write the book. And I mm-hmm. decided to write the book instead. Excellent choice, madam. Um, <laughs> if you did a postmaster certificate, what, what attracts you? Because there's mm-hmm. many to choose from. Yeah. You know, and I haven't done any research in this for a while. So So off the top of my head, I would love to explore a little bit more around the topic of human factors and how that can be integrated into quality and safety work a little bit more. Um, That's definitely a field that interests me. So I might consider something like that. Hmm, Interesting. Okay. Human factors. Does that mean like like, um, errors made on the job? Like, what does that mean? So it's basically a science that's that's focused in around the relationship between humans, um, the tools and equipment they use in the workplace and the environment within which um, we work. So it looks at things like lighting, noise level, distractions, interruptions, equipment design, stress, fatigue, staffing, workarounds, those kinds of things. And when you consider when adverse events occur, kind of breaking down why things happen, when you look at it from a system approach, these are all aspects that should be evaluated when we're looking at mitigation plans. So it's like root cause analysis, but in a in a kind of Targeted blown up way. into a yeah, in a yeah. specific type of um, lens you're looking through, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So from your perspective, based on the book, based on these years of work and, and your your expertise that you've developed, you know, quality and safety, it makes sense that we have to focus on quality and safety. And of course, we're looking for improved outcomes, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, what else are we there for? but to improve patient outcomes. And there's all sorts of things. There's efficiency, there's workflow. You just mentioned a whole bunch of human factors that are involved in that. So I want to ask you a question about the organizational level of looking at that. It sounds like you work for an amazing organization and they're totally bought in to this notion of quality and safety. And you sounds like you have support to do whatever it is you're doing and want to do, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're super happy. 
-hmm. assumption is based on conversations I have with nurses and others and conversations I see on LinkedIn, for instance, that there are quite a few organizations out there where this stuff falls through the cracks. What are the factors on the organizational level that you think make quality and safety and this focus on improved patient outcomes maybe not quite the focus that it should be? What's getting in the way in the big picture? In the big picture? Yeah. Um, I think sometimes it comes down to resources. So. Mm-hmm. Are there re- are there resources built into the organization that can help facilitate the work? So um, if you think about like, is there a robust quality and safety department? Um, are there folks that can do RCAs? Are there RCAs? Perform- can you, can you uh, I'm me? sorry, root cause analysis. Oh, root cause. Okay. Yep. Are there performance improvement specialists that can help guide some of the quality improvement work? Um, Do the people doing the project work have project management training and skills? Um, You know, are are there, and safety is a part of everyone's job too, right? Mm -hmm. So is, is this built into everyone's job? Is that communicated to all? Um, so I, I think sometimes it's it's really a matter of resources. That's mm-hmm. I guess that's what I've seen in my my history. Yeah. And what I surmise is that when there's a lack of resources for things that to us seem so crucial and critical and like, why would we not be doing this? I mean, there's lots of factors, but one thing I see personally, Um, and this is my opinion, is corporatization and consolidation of organizations and the drive for profit and um, corner cutting. And, you know, it's just to me, when I hear stories and I do hear stories of safety and quality corners being cut, I like, I just cringe you know, because you and I know, and you know, especially as an expert, what that can lead to. So it sounds like your organization is on the other end of that continuum. And then we probably have some out there that are on the way other end of the continuum. Um, so that's kind of scary. <laughs> and when when you're at an organization like yours, where quality and safety are a focus, and you as the quality and safety nurse can do the job that you're meant to do. What does that do for the frontline staff? We know patient outcomes improve, but how do the frontline staff feel when when safety and quality are at the forefront and everyone's talking about it and they know there's organizational support for that to be a real focus for everybody? I think the frontline staff, A, feel supported. They also feel safe. They feel like their work is value added. And they feel like the workflow works well. So there's efficiency in the workflow. So it's not uncommon to hear um, maybe concerns around inefficient workflows. Right. So part of quality and safety work is really taking a look at that and saying, well, how can we do this better? So when you do that, generally people are happy if they have the equipment they need, um, the people they need, the resources they need to effectively and efficiently care for patients. Generally, that makes employees that improves staff satisfaction. It improves retention. So the the there's sort of like a ripple effect to um, quality and safety work in my eyes. Hmm. In and addition for, to the in addition to the patient outcomes. Yeah, the patient outcomes are our, you know ultimate goal. But if we don't have happy staff and we have high levels of attrition, and there's always new people cycling through, or we're always having travelers, and you know budgets get you know decimated from having to spend so much on travelers or whatever it happens to be, then that sense of safety and satisfaction 
continues to plummet. And so psychological safety comes from many things, right? So you feel support from the organization, um, hopefully staffing levels are sane and people listen to the frontline staff, right? Their voices are heard. Is that, are those really main factors of psychological safety for, for staff? Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. psychological safety basically entails that you're creating an environment where staff feel safe to speak up. They feel safe for asking for help. Um, as you know, asking for help can be sometimes difficult because it could be viewed as a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Right. And and when you're establishing psychological safety, you're breaking that down a little bit and and sort of reinventing it so that people are seeing it not as a sign of weakness, but um, as a potential source of human error if people are overloaded and can't ask for help. So you're kind of putting it out there that it's the expectation to ask for and offer help. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to admit mistakes so that others can learn from those mistakes and maybe systems can be put in place to improve upon them. Um, but yeah, it's it's really all of those building in all of those pieces into establishing and maintaining psychological safety and, and essentially a culture of safety. Right. Overall. And yeah. And a, a, a nurse who feels safe and supported isn't going to jump ship necessarily, especially not because of those factors. They might leave for other reasons, but they're not going to be looking around for another job they're going to feel good when they come to work and they're going to know that their voices are heard. And, you know, there's, we know there's all sorts of issues. There's incivility and bullying. There's all sorts of things that happen in the clinical space. And we have people like my friend, Dr. Renee Thompson at the Healthy Workforce Institute. We have all sorts of people out there doing that work to help organizations focus on those things. Like, if you have a culture of bullying, I mean, safety's out the window, right? I mean, how can you feel safe if there's a culture of bullying? And, you know, so there's, if we can control for those power differentials that cause that kind of lack of safety, and we can control for these issues you're talking about, like workflow, um, environment, you know, efficiency, that sounds like that goes a long way towards having a functional, efficient, you know, a solid culture culture and workplace. Yeah. And if I could add, Keith, yeah. the, the role, going back to the role of the perinatal safety nurse, yes. that individual is key in ensuring that and it's it's not only nurses, but ensuring that voices are heard from all staff. Mm-hmm. So that individual is listening to resident feedback, attending feedback, nurses feedback, scrub techs, you know, all all of the folks, all of the different disciplines of the team and taking those perspectives into consideration, letting folks feel heard. And oftentimes you're you're taking their feedback and you're integrating the change that they're suggesting because they know what works mm-hmm. and nothing is more gratifying, I think, to frontline staff. And it's not always going to happen. It depends on the situation. But I, I think nothing is more gratifying than knowing, hey, my voice is being heard and something is being done about it. So that's that's key to the perinatal safety nurse role, really working closely with frontline staff, um, helping folks leverage separate realities advocating, role modeling, advocacy behaviors to help reduce the power gradient. Um, you know, if that's, uh, depend, you know, tends to be a challenge, mm-hmm. but really, you know, bringing all those different aspects together and helping to foster that culture of safety on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, and we're talking very specifically about perinatal safety nurse, PSN, which is your, that's your like, that's your happy place. And if you're listening out there and you're in an organization where safety isn't a priority, I mean, you can try to become a champion for safety. You might be a voice in the wilderness, but you can try. And if you feel that you're unsafe and your organization 
you know, if it falls on deaf ears talking about safety, then maybe you need to find a place like where, where Jeanette works, where safety is prioritized. Don't you think, Jeanette? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have to go. But I wanted to mention that your book is on um, on Amazon. So we'll have a link to it in the show notes to find it on Amazon. And there's also this website, the OB Neonatal Study Guide website. I know the book is linked there. What else do we find on this website? So on the website, there is there's many different articles on actually the NCC ONQS exam topics. So mm. if you are studying for the CONQS exam, free content, folks are welcome to read that. If you want to learn more about perinatal quality and safety, or it's really just quality and safety as well, you're welcome to check it out. Um, there's also an opportunity to subscribe to an email list on there, and then you'll get the content directly delivered to you on a regular basis. Um, and then there's information on the book as well. That's great. So I recommend people go to the website and check it out. It is um, obneonatalstudyguide.com and you're on LinkedIn too. So we'll have, we'll have a, um, the URL for your LinkedIn if people want to connect with you there. Um, I could talk to you forever, but we, we do need to wind down. And I have four quick lightning round questions. I ask all my guests at the end. Are you, you willing? You game? Yeah, sure. Yeah? Okay. Go for it. So the first question is, how would you define success, either personally or professionally? What does it mean to you? Success, I think it means making a difference. Mm -hmm. And that could be at work or in your community or anywhere? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Making yep. a difference. Yeah. I like that. Touching people's lives, making a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Second question. Could you name or describe a person who's been an inspiration to you in your life? They could be famous or not. They could be living or dead. Just someone who pops to your mind who's like one of those go-to people for you. I think one of the most inspirational and um Someone who's just was an incredible role model and mentor for me is my former manager slash director. Um, she just she really mentored me. I, I've I worked with her the entire time I was at my former organization, and she I worked under her as a manager and then as a director, as a clinical nurse leader and perinatal safety nurse. And she was really just instrumental in giving me continuous and honest feedback with regard to the role and approaches I should take. And, you know, feedback isn't always good feedback. It's constructive feedback, things that you could be doing better. And I always appreciated that she cared enough about me to give me that constructive feedback. And I always took what she said and ran with it. And I've and it served me incredibly well. And also, you know, the fact that she gave me that opportunity to grow. Mm. That so. sounds like a true mentor. And I often talk to people about, you know, do you have a mentor? And you know, it could be someone you actually ask to be your mentor, or it's just someone who assumes the role without even you requesting it, and they just become that. And it sounds like this person was very central for you. Absolutely. Yeah. No wonder it was hard for you to leave your former workplace. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Last question. Is there a book or a movie, doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, just one that comes to mind, that has had an impact on the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you approach your work, the way you parent, anything like that at all. Just a book that's important to you or a movie. Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is a classic book oh, by Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. And the title is, uh, I can't think of the title. Man's Search for Me. Yes. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I, I think that book 
was uh, I found to be extremely meaningful because um, obviously, so the book chronicled the life of of a man who was it survived the Holocaust camps. He mm-hmm. was a a psychologist, a Jewish obviously psychologist. Yeah, and um, and. It really, I think the the meaning behind it was your mindset, your mental state through extremely tough times. Um, it was through his grit and determination that he was able to survive the concentration camps. And he, sh- he really uh, was able to, he saw folks who didn't have that grit and determin- determination and mental, what's the word, fortuity to mm-hmm to survive that who just let go and he didn't and he just his message was you know in life we go through these difficult times but they're there to teach us a lesson and if we have that mental fortitude i think is the word i was looking for um fortitude to go through it then we'll we'll be able to get get through so that was always i found a very meaningful book Mm, I should reread that. He hasn't. There was another book too, the title escapes me, so I'll have to look that up. But Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's that's a good one. All right, Jeanette, this has been really wonderful. I've learned a lot about perinatal safety nurses and this whole notion of quality and safety and psychological safety. And I think your book is really important too because taking these. Um, taking these these exams can be fraught for many people and having a guide to get them through the exam is really important so you've had a really great journey i feel like you've been really open to to what was next for you and you made some really great decisions but also allowed yourself the the breadth of potential of let me see what happens. So you let go a little bit and you were open and you met amazing people along the way, like Janine and, and, um, Deanna. Deanna. So, yeah. So thank you for being here and thanks for hanging out with us and thanks for doing the great work you do in the world. Thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak here today and to meet you, Keith. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com or on any app where you're listening. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing and healthcare career, check out Nurse Keith Coaching at nursekeith.com. If you get in touch, you can get a 10% discount on your first coaching package if you mention the Nurse Keith Show. If you want to become a patron, again, it's at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith, or just share the show with anyone who you would like to do so who would benefit from it. We are proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, an amazing array of podcasts related to healthcare, nursing, and medicine. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520 our podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Albert Schweitzer. Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Jeanette Zoko saying arrivederci from Connecticut the state of Connecticut. Thank you, Jeanette. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side.